Hello, my lovely actors. This is Ben Hopkin, and welcome back to my podcast, Acting Without the Drama, where we keep the drama on the stage and in front of the camera and out of our personal lives. So today we're going to continue our discussion about heightened text. And last time we talked about perspective and historical context. And today we're going to have a little bit of fun with the text itself. We're going to start to talk about how to take the heightened dialogue from a play or a script and make it real, make it believable. So again, we're going to go back to the actor's best training ground, Shakespeare. And again, I want you guys to know that Shakespeare is a lot of fun, and hopefully you'll see that as we go through this. One of the things that we need to immediately address is the fact that when you're going through a script that has heightened dialogue in it, the most important thing is for you to understand every single word that you're going to say. Understand how they all fit together. We really can't communicate if we don't understand what we're saying. And that goes for Shakespeare, it goes for Samuel Beckett, and it goes for David Mamet. That really is generally the hardest part about dealing with heightened text. When you're doing Samuel Beckett, as an example, you're going through these lines, and the reason that we have trouble with it is because they don't always seem to make sense. Doing any of Pinter's works are the same way. When we go back further again to Shakespeare, the main challenge that people have with Shakespeare is that they feel like they can't understand him. They feel like they don't know what they're saying. Oh, it's all old speech. And that is absolutely the case, but we as actors need to be detectives. We need to go through, we need to make sure that we really understand everything, and that we are communicating the full sense of those words to the audience. So what we're going to do today is we are going to take a piece of text, and this is one that you're going to be pretty familiar with. Pretty much anybody, even if you don't like Shakespeare, has heard this section of this particular play. This is Romeo and Juliet. It's from Act 2, Scene 1. This is the balcony scene. So the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to read Romeo's speech. And I'm not going to do a whole lot with it. I'm not really going to perform it or act it. I'm just simply going to say the words. And if you want to follow along, go ahead and pause the podcast for a second. Go and grab your copy, come back, and you can follow right along with what we're doing here. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief, that thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. Be not her maid, since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. Oh, it is my lady. Oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew she were. She speaks, yet she says nothing. What of that? Her eye discourses, I will answer it. I am too bold, tis not to me she speaks. Two of the fairest stars in all the heaven, having some business, do entreat her eyes to twinkle in their spheres till they return. What if her eyes were there, and they in her head? The brightness of her cheek would shame those stars, as daylight doth a lamp. Her eye in heaven would through the airy region stream so bright that birds would sing and think it were not night. See how she leans her cheek upon her hand? Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand, that I might touch that cheek. Now, as you were listening to this, you probably at some point kind of tuned out, if you're like pretty much anybody, because there were parts of this that you had difficulty understanding. Now, I did a fairly good job 
of interpreting this, of sort of giving some meaning to it without acting it overtly. But again, as actors, it's our job to really communicate these ideas. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this through piece by piece and really help you to see what this means and then do it again so that you can really understand where we're coming from. Now, one of the things that, again, we need to know is a little bit about how Shakespeare was performed, how works of dramatic literature were performed back in that period of time. This portion of this particular play is what would be called a soliloquy. There's no one else on stage at this point, and Romeo is talking alone, essentially. Now, the question always arises, who is he talking to? In a Shakespearean soliloquy, you're talking directly to the audience. It's not just speaking to yourself. You're really communicating with the audience and bringing them into the action. It's a much more active thing than many actors make it. So remember, Romeo right now is talking to the audience. That's who he's communicating with. And this first line is, but soft what light through yonder window breaks, which is generally misinterpreted. Again, remembering that he's talking to the audience and also thinking back, what time of day is this? This is after a party that he went to where he met Juliet for the first time. And this is really late at night. This is probably midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, something like that. And he's right outside the Capulet's house, right outside. He's on the grounds of their estate. If he gets caught, he's going to get killed. So he's coming in with a fair amount of fear here. If he's discovered, it is death to him. So the first thing that has to happen, there's a light that comes on in the window. He doesn't know who that is. We always have this assumption that he's, when he says, but soft what light through yonder window breaks, that he's talking about Juliet, but he's not. He's talking about the fact that there's a light that just came on in the window. So his natural response would probably be to hide behind a bush. And when he's saying, but soft, really what he's saying is shut up. He's talking to the audience, but soft. What light through yonder window breaks? What is that? Then he sees her. It is the east and Juliet is the sun. And he's so struck by her beauty and so struck by his love for her that he really is just completely overwhelmed. When you are dealing with Shakespeare and Shakespeare's plays, Shakespeare's text, one of the things to keep in mind is when he writes in iambic pentameter, when he writes in poetic verse, it is intended to be soul-to-soul -soul communication. So this is what Romeo's heart would say if Romeo's heart could speak. And think back to the first time you fell in love. The first time you fell in love, if you could have described that, would your heart have said, dude, that chick is hot? Or man, that guy is so fine. No, it would have said something much more poetic than that. It is the east and Juliet is the sun. So then he continues further. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief, that thou her maid art far more fair than she. Now we get into some stuff where we're like, what the heck is he talking about? So in order for us to understand this a little bit better, really we need to go back and familiarize ourselves with Roman and Greek mythology. Because when he's talking about the moon, really he's talking about the goddess Diana. And Diana was not only the goddess of the moon, she was also the goddess of virgins. So when he calls Juliet the maid of the moon, he's really saying that she is a virgin, that she is a worshiper of Diana. 
So there's a lot of double meanings here, and this is actually a lot of fun because we start to see that there's some real sex in here. We don't think of Shakespeare as being sexy, but it really is. There's all sorts of good stuff in Shakespeare. We think of it as being dry, dusty, stale, but really it's full of violence and sex and passion. And so as he begins to speak to her and says, and again, remember, he's not directly speaking to her. She can't hear him. He's still really speaking to the audience, proclaiming his love for Juliet. So he says, be not her maid, since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. Now, be not her maid, since she is envious. Don't be a virgin. Number one, don't be her maid because she's jealous of you. But number two, don't be a virgin. Sleep with me. And then he says her vestal livery is but sick and green. Vestal livery is like her uniform. The clothing that the worshipers of Diana would wear were green dresses. And he says, you know, her uniform really isn't all that great. Take it off. And again, there's a double meaning here. Take off your clothes. So he gets this lovely mental image of Juliet without her clothes on. And that immediately leads into the next line. It is my lady. Oh, it is my love. And we sometimes as modern actors, we don't know what to do with those O's. Those O's can be anything that you want them to be. It is my lady. Oh, it is my love. It is my lady. Oh, oh it is my love. Anything that you want, any sort of exclamation of, wow, this is big is going to work. Oh, that she knew she were. This is like typical high school stuff. Remember, Romeo and Juliet are really young. Juliet's 14 and Romeo's probably 15 or 16 at the most. So this is high school puppy love. Oh, I wish I could tell her. Oh gosh, I wish I could tell her. And this is what makes this process fun is starting to discover who these people are and really relating it back to something that we understand. She speaks, yet she says nothing. What of that? Now, this is just a simple acknowledgement of the fact that she probably opened her mouth up, looked like she was about to say something, didn't say anything. Wow, that's weird. She speaks, yet she says nothing. What of that? Oh, I know what it is. The next thought, her eye discourses. I will answer it. Her eyes are speaking to me. I'll go ahead and talk back. But then again, typical high school stuff. Next line, I am too bold. Tis not to me she speaks. I'm not worthy. <laughs> Two of the fairest stars in all the heaven, having some business, do entreat her eyes to twinkle in their spheres till they return. So basically, two of the stars, they got to go away on a business trip, and they're like, hey, would you mind lending us your eyes so that uh, there can still be light to shine down on these foolish mortals? So her eyes are so beautiful that they are going to shine with the same kind of brightness that a star would. Then he says... What if her eyes were there, meaning they're in the heavens, and they, meaning the stars, in her head? The brightness of her cheek would shame those stars as daylight doth a lamp. You guys have all seen that before. You shine a flashlight outside during the day and you really can't see it. Her eye in heaven would through the airy region stream so bright that birds would sing and think it were not night. Her eyes would be so beautiful up there and so radiant that they would be like miniature suns and they would turn the nighttime into day. See how she leans her cheek upon her hand. Again, taking it right directly back into a physical observation. She's leaning her cheek upon that hand. And then again, he goes right back to that high school place. 
Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand that I might touch that cheek. Dude, I wish I were that girl's bra. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. So we start to see that Romeo is really this goofy, fun, kind of love-struck puppy. And that really helps us to start to understand what's happening in the play. There's another part later where Juliet is into her soliloquy, again, not knowing that Romeo is there. And she gets very, very direct about something. And matter of fact, I'm just going to read a, a couple of lines that you probably have never heard in this way before. "'Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. What's Montague? It is nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name! And yes, that is exactly what she's talking about. She's very specific. It is nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face. And then she gets very vague because she did. She went there. This is so much about sex. But one thing that I do want to acknowledge is that for them, this wasn't just casual sex. This wasn't just a fling. This wasn't a roll in the hay. Juliet wants to marry Romeo and sleep with him. Romeo wants to marry Juliet and sleep with her. He wants her to be the mother of his children. This is not anything that is just simply casual. This is a very real, very deep, very passionate scene of these two coming together. So hopefully you've had some fun as we've gone through this. Uh, it's certainly been fun for me, if you can't tell. <laughs> but one of the things that is so vital when we start dealing with heightened text is knowing what we say. Just the understanding of what we're saying helps communicate those ideas to the audience so that they're clear for them. If we don't understand what we're saying, there's no chance that the audience is going to be able to understand what we're saying. So our major task as we move into dealing with heightened text is understanding our language. And really from that point on, it's just the same as anything else. We figure out what the relationship is. We figure out what the conflict is. We pick an objective. We pick, a, pick an internal obstacle. We separate each of the lines into their separate thoughts. Each thought is a beat. And then we assign an active verb to that beat. And we really play that active verb as a tactic to get what we want. Again, this has been so much fun. And join us next time as we start dealing with script analysis. Woohoo! So much fun. Okay. So, again, looking for your submissions for the monologue competition. Make sure that you send them to actingwithoutthedrama at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening to our series, Creating Without the Drama. For more information about this podcast and many others, including Writing Without the Drama, please go to www.creatingwithoutthedrama.com.